Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. So for the last several weeks, we've been in a worship series on Colossians, that epistle in the New Testament that we're attributing to Paul or someone very close to Paul. And we've just been reading the whole thing, Colossians, from start to finish, but we haven't finished yet. We have a couple more to go. And tonight, we're pressing pause on Colossians to make room for a bottle episode called Philemon. So in television talk in a television series, a bottle episode is one that does not relate to the story arc of the whole season of that show. A bottle episode does not move the plot along. It stands alone. It's completely contained. It really could be placed anywhere in the season. It usually involves a limited set, like maybe just one set. Maybe the characters never move from one place, and it doesn't usually involve all the characters from the show. The name Bottle Episode refers to its smallness and self-containment, you know, like a ship in a bottle. So think of the Christmas episode of just about any sitcom you've ever watched. That was a bottle episode. The last season of Ted Lasso had two bottle episodes because after they had produced 10 beautiful episodes for a near-perfect narrative arc, Apple TV insisted on having two more. So we got a really random one with Ted and Rebecca singing Christmas carols in one, and then Coach Beard doing psychedelics in a disco in another. I mean, they were good. They just weren't integral to the whole plot. No football. (laughs) No plot development. Just a break from the regular serialized story. So we're doing Philemon as a bottle episode for a series on Colossians because these two New Testament epistles belong together in some really important ways, mostly because they share people in common. Both Colossians and Philemon name a lot of names of first century Christians and These are the names that we find in both epistles. Paul, of course, the writer. Epaphras, who brought the gospel to the Colossians in the first place. Archippus, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke. I know you're going, who? Yeah, we mostly don't know either. But one we do know, most importantly, Onesimus. Onesimus, who is at the heart of Paul's letter to Philemon. So listen for the appearance of Onesimus in the epistle to the Colossians. This isn't a part of Colossians we have not read together for worship. It's from chapter four. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord, Paul says. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And he, Tychicus, is coming with Onesimus the faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Remember that line. They will tell you about everything here, Paul says. So we're pausing tonight the flow of Colossians to explore this little epistle called Philemon, of which we're going to read the entirety. It's so small it doesn't even have chapter divisions, just verses. 
It's a little letter that likely traveled along with Tychicus and Onesimus when they carried Paul's correspondence to the Colossian church. Now, think of the church in Colossae as a network of house churches that meet throughout that city. Letters from the apostle addressed to the whole church or to any one of them would have been read out loud in somebody's living room where a house church was meeting. And then those letters would have been circulated around house church to house church so that everybody had a chance to hear what Paul the apostle was saying about their life together in Christ. With this letter to Philemon, I think they got a little more than they, or at least Philemon himself, bargained for. This is the epistle called Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Athia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Oh, one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's like 17-year-old me, the first time I saw a woman ascend the steps to the pulpit, open her Bible, read from it out loud, and preach an actual sermon in an actual church. It's like when Galileo Church goes to the student activities fair at UTA and we set up our signs and we give out those cards that all say the same thing, just one thing, queer and Christian, yes. You can see it and hear it when it's happening in someone's body. They stop, freeze, transfixed. Their eyes widen, their mouths fall open a little bit. There's a sharp intake of breath. And I always imagine that I can see right into their brain where a little lightning storm of new neural pathways, an internal fireworks show of thoughts never before thought is happening. A woman preaching, queer and Christian, Paul Ricoeur, a 20th century French philosopher, doesn't matter, called it the shock of the possible. You're just going along in the ordinary world, the world that matches all your expectations, and then something happens that instantly carves a path to a new place that you did not know existed. A new idea that you never considered an impossibility suddenly made possible. The shock of the possible awakens you to a whole new possible world you never knew you were missing. Jesus was a master of the shock of the possible. He would just say things like, I don't know, what if you lose your whole family because you come with me? With me, you get new family, all the family you need. Or why don't you just sell all your stuff and give the money away and join me in this work? You'll find everything you're looking for if you do. (laughs) Or I know you and I know your situation and I'm talking to you because I want to, because you are not outside the scope of what God is doing in this world. Or you give them something to eat. Or she's not dead, she's sleeping. Or your sins are forgiven and suddenly In an instant, with a word, the ordinary world with all its ordinary expectations swivels on its axis and you feel kind of nauseated till you get your new bearings. And like Paul says in another place, so if anyone is in Christ, new creation, everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you're keeping track. So Paul writes this little letter to Philemon, sending it along with his longer letter to all the Colossian Christians. And I am proposing that for all its brevity, this epistle delivers a juicy jolt of potentiality, the shock of the possible, to everyone who heard it then and could do the same for us now if we could wrap our minds 
around the situation it addresses. We pretty much know who Philemon was. I mean, if he had a church meeting in his house, he was very likely a wealthy landowner in or near Colossae. As such, he was also, no doubt, a slaveholder with a household of persons considered his property under Roman imperial law. And importantly, Philemon was a convert to Christianity, having heard the gospel from Paul himself, unlike most of the Colossians whom Paul had not met and who credited Epaphras for their conversion. We know Philemon, but it's a little trickier to figure out who Onesimus was. We know that he was a member of Philemon's household and that he had left Philemon's household and that Paul was sending him back to Philemon's household with this letter in his hand. The letter from Paul lets us understand that something, something bad has happened between Philemon and Onesimus, something serious enough to warrant Paul's intervention and his insistence dressed up as a request, that Philemon will A, receive Onesimus, and B, without punishing him, or calling the police, or whatever one does in first century Asia Minor when someone who has stolen from you returns to the scene of the crime. Yeah, I said Onesimus stole from Philemon. Maybe not the silverware or the jewels, but he has incurred a financial debt of some kind, which Paul offers in verses 18 and 19, to pay in full from his own money. If it will make Philemon feel better about having Onesimus back under his roof. I find it interesting how our eyes are opened to the Bible's many instances of debts forgiven debts paid by one for the sake of another, debts cleared in order to make way for the indebted person's fresh start. It is hard to imagine a more Christian ethic actually than the literal forgiveness of financial debt. And if that happened for you last week and you wanna do a little happy dance in your chair, do it now, we're here for it. Thanks be to God. Anyway. People who have spent a lot more time with this text than I have offer us two possibilities for the relationship of Onesimus to Philemon based mostly on the clues we find in verses 15 and 16. Just listen again. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while so that you, Philemon, might have him, Onesimus, back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. One supposition, then, is that Onesimus was an enslaved person belonging to Philemon, the slaveholder. In this case, we can imagine Onesimus hearing Paul back in the day preach that gospel the way he did, hearing it and believing that it was for him too, which it was. And when Paul's signature sermon crescendoed to its highest point, for freedom Christ has set us free, let us not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1, if you're keeping track. The fireworks in Onesimus' brain would have been intense. (laughs) 
not for him a spiritual freedom, not in the first place, but the shock of the possible, the dignity and liberation of all people, including those formerly bought and sold for their labor, including himself. And so it has been imagined that Onesimus himself now, a follower of Jesus, unable to bear his low estate in the hierarchy of Philemon's house, has run away, has found Paul, has pleaded to stay with him, not as an enslaved person, but as a fellow worker, a member of the Mark, Demas, Archippus, Aristarchus, Epaphras, Tychicus boy band of first century evangelists. Why not me, he would say to Paul, you said, you said I don't have to relinquish everything this ordinary world wants to take from me. You said. In which case, Sending Onesimus back to Philemon is a risky proposition on Paul's part. I mean, this man is due for serious punishment, perhaps the loss of a limb for such an offense. Systems of slavery are brutal in every age, make no mistake. But some have argued that enslavement is a metaphor here because the real relationship between Philemon and Onesimus is that they are estranged brothers. Onesimus perhaps owing Philemon a financial debt he cannot pay, Philemon kicking him out of the house and cutting him out of the family life and wealth. Remember, Paul tells Philemon to receive Onesimus as no longer a slave, but more than a slave, now a beloved brother to me and much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So it sounds possible that Philemon and Onesimus are brothers, not only in that Jesus way of getting lots of family when you follow him, but also in the DNA way. I have a proposal to reconcile these two, one that requires white Americans to know our own slaveholding history. What if Philemon and Onesimus indeed share a father? making them brothers. But Onesimus's mother was an enslaved person in Philemon's father's house. Think Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemming. It's not so hard to imagine that these two men are both siblings and slaveholder enslaved. Philemon having inherited his father's household and ownership of his half-brother upon daddy's death. That part is sadly easy to understand. What's harder to wrap our minds around is what Paul thinks he's doing here. From his imprisonment, relying on the power of his pen to persuade Philemon not to punish Onesimus to the fullest extent of the law. Maybe you will not be surprised to learn that there was a time in our own nation's history when white Christians used this epistle to justify returning enslaved escapees. My iPad wants to share a password with someone. White Christians used this epistle to justify returning enslaved escapees to their slaveholders. There is nothing so dangerous and disgusting as a privileged person using scripture to reinforce their privilege. 
And we could wish that Paul had been less oblique about the freedom God intends for all God's children. For me, the shock of the possible in this letter arrives with a giant kablam at the moment when Paul says in verse 10, I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Especially if Onesimus' literal father was the one who kept his son enslaved, but even if he was not, Paul's intensification of the familial metaphor here is, well, intense. Not just siblings in Christ, Paul says. No, no, not for Onesimus and me. I am his father now. He is my son. I love my siblings, I do, but not the way I love my kids, you know? So then you got to let that sink in. A father sending his son into extreme danger, releasing him to the care of someone else, someone who is engulfed in systems of privilege and patriarchy, someone whose identity is bound up with ownership and wealth, trusting that one, already angry, to take care of this vulnerable boy, to do the right thing, to be gentle and kind and merciful. Does that remind you of any story you know? For God loved the world so much that God gave God's only son? John 3.16, if you're keeping track. A trusting father entrusting a beloved son to a world that is arguably not trustworthy. The shock of the possible is Paul's invitation to Philemon to understand that the gospel he has received, the baptism he has drowned in, the life he lives in Christ now changes everything, not only for him, but for this man, Onesimus as well, and thus their entire relationship. No longer is their relationship governed by the Greco-Roman convention of patriarchy, or by Roman property law, or by Pharaoh's economy of forced labor, or by the simple human desire to maximize power and privilege. See him as I see him, Paul says to Philemon. Better yet, see him as Christ sees him and you. Beloved, brother, belonging, not him to you, but both of you to Christ, both of you as secure in the heart of God as the other. Welcome him, Paul says, as you would welcome me, which you'll get a chance to do soon because as soon as I'm sprung from these chains, I'm coming down to your house to check on things. Make me proud. Hmm. I mean, can you hear it? It's the shock of the possible that our own baptisms both liberate the Onesimuses among us from their cruel diminishment by this ordinary world and 
obligate the Philemons among us to stop taking everything this ordinary world says we're entitled to have. We do not know what happened to Philemon and Onesimus. This little letter embedded in the New Testament is our only memento of their relationship. But I have to think that the church in Colossae and beyond preserved this letter, copying and recopying it over the centuries so that it could be read not just in Philemon's living room, not only in the house churches of Colossae, but everywhere by everyone who finds their identity in Christ because they all lived happily ever after. Because this is the gospel, that former slaveholders and former enslaved persons can be siblings in the Christian family, that formerly estranged siblings can be reconciled in the Christian family. This is the shock of the possible, that God gets everything God wants, even here, even now, even among us. Glory, glory, hallelujah. And thanks be to God. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace. Peace.